Welcome to Heal. On today's episode, Dr. Sarah Marshall shares with us what healing means to her and how our health is connected through every part of our bodies and our lives. I'm not your host. I'm your producer, Kendra Vicken. Well, this is different. Yeah, you're on the other side of the mic this time. I mean, same mic, but other side of the interview. Yep. Well, thanks for doing this. I think that um, this season's been great and we've had so many great guests and we've gotten to talk about, you know, issues like fibromyalgia and um, topical steroid withdrawal all the way to like depression and addiction and grief. And I think that the one thing that our listeners haven't gotten to hear much about um, is your story and your relationship to healing. And I think this would be kind of a good opportunity to to talk directly to Dr. Sarah Marshall and find out, you know, what she what she has to say. And I love it. And kind of how you how you ended up here. And um, and really, I you know, let's start with that. You know, what does healing mean for you? Hmm. So, for me, healing is about being whole, like being whole and complete. And I add complete because that's more like the mental and life side of it. So healing is. Well, there's healing, which is the action to get to being healed, which would really, I think even a better word is being whole. And wholeness for me is that everything works the way it's supposed to, as it was designed at the most optimal levels possible. But there's also a component of what each person wants, like what wholeness and optimal functioning is for one person actually could be different than another person. You know, we don't all necessarily need to be extreme mountain climbers or deep sea divers or ultra marathon runners. And those people are going to have different demands. But I do think that at a core physiologic level, it's universal for every single person. Your stomach works when it has a pH of one, your intestines have a particular functionality to them that is universal for everyone. But then there's that other piece of healing and wholeness that comes into the mental, emotional, or spiritual, and like, what kind of life do you want to live? And that's where we get to color outside the lines and create our own lives. Well, and that's where you have, uh, you know, the slogan, I, you know, I think it's on your site, and it's something that you and I have talked about, which is that, at least from my understanding, like being, being healthy, healing for you means getting to live your dream life. Yeah. Like, I think that's the ultimate goal. It's like, why, you know, years ago, earlier in my career, I used to put a lot of emphasis on like the conversation of well, why be healthy? Like, why health? Why do you even care? What's the point of doing all of this? And so that's where I challenge a lot of my clients is to look at, all right, great. Well, what, what do you really want out of this? And usually the first response is something, the effect of pain-free, not vomiting on a regular basis, like being able to function, you know, having energy at the end of my day to hang out with my kids after I come home from work, which all of those things are super valid. But I usually challenge them to start to look beyond the management of their disease into like, literally, what's the kind of life do you want to live? Like, do you want to be an ultra marathon runner? Do you want to be able to scuba dive or do certain things that currently like one of my clients really, her big commitment is she wants to be able to do rim to rim on the Grand Canyon, you know, North Rim to the South Rim, which is like something like 26 miles, I think, or 26 down into, I don't know, it's a huge deal and a lot of vertical change. And she knows that that's going to be a whole different life and a different body that she's going to have to create in order to have that result. Right. Yeah. I mean, and so for you, 
what what I guess then just to get personal is is your dream life and how long have you been emphasizing like that piece like that being healthy to have this like where did that where did that come in for you and what does that look like um so I think kind of to answer in reverse like I think I've had an intuitive sense or like an internal knowing about my well-being being correlated to the life I live. Now that goes into my story. I had my first asthma attack when I was nine months old, didn't have language. So I couldn't tell my mom what was going on. And it took them another year to figure out what the diagnosis was. I was just having these episodes. And then it wasn't until I was about a year and a half old that they actually worked out that I had asthma. And that's pretty young even to develop that kind of a lung disease. So from a very young age, I had the experience that if I didn't feel well, I didn't really, I wasn't really happy with my life, but I also started to notice when I was stressed out and not happy with my life, my asthma would be worse. My allergies would be worse. Like I also, so it like went in both directions. And then it just kind of was like this innate sense of things. And I remember when I first literally stumbled upon naturopathic medicine, which I didn't know there was such a thing as a primary care physician who specialized in natural healing, didn't know that the field even existed. I knew about crystal therapy. I knew about meditation. I knew about herbal medicine. I'd seen a homeopath in my childhood, which was actually the only two years of my childhood that I didn't have asthma was when I was working with a homeopathic practitioner. And then the state of New York outlawed it and she moved to Canada and I stopped working with her and that was in the eighties. And so, you know, I had this experience of some of the natural therapies in my life and the difference, but I just had no idea that there was such a thing as a physician of naturopathic medicine. So when I stumbled upon that, reading a magazine in the Houston airport on the way home from a surf trip in Panama, (laughs) and literally saw an advertisement in the magazine that said, you will be a naturopathic physician. It was like a slogan for this ad. And I had like, what the heck is that? And I went home and Googled it. I started to read about the philosophy of naturopathic medicine. And our founding philosophy is based on a tenant called vis medicatrix nocturae, or the healing power of nature. And that's kind of like the core platform everything else is based off of is that it's, I really am resisting using the word belief because I don't like when people are like, oh, I believe in your medicine because there's a lot of science and like reality, the physiology, but there is like a foundational philosophy. And in that philosophy, the basic premise is that nature naturally heals itself or you die. Like those are the choices, right? So there's this natural state of healing. There's this innate internal ability and we call it like lovingly the vice in naturopathic medicine which I think we actually have somebody coming up um there's another episode that you guys are going to hear about soon that I've already recorded where we get way into the philosophy of naturopathic medicine so there's things to come but the vice is like that life force energy that's in there so then you get back to the question of like what is my dream life and like what is this how does this all connect it's like I don't, I don't know. It's probably like, it's going to blend into my spiritual beliefs too. But it's like, for me, I think that the reason why I'll at least speak for myself, why I'm here on the planet is to fully actualize this thing called Sarah Marshall, like to be fully Sarah Marshall. And I do actually have beliefs that, that I'm not, that's not all of who I am. Like there may be a spiritual self or some people talk about a soul or like there's sort of greater consciousness. And then we come down and we incarnate into a being and the being I've incarnated into this time around is Sarah Marshall. And she's got brown hair and she's five foot eight and she was born with asthma and she had the parents she had and like all those things. And so for me, 
health and fulfilling on my physical body and fulfilling on my spiritual path and fulfilling on my most joyous life, that's kind of, it's all one thing. Like we use language to divide them up. My body's doing this and I'm on my career path and I'm really happy about these things. But to me, it's like, ultimately it's all one unit of, am I happy? How happy can I be? How much joy can I have? How much? And it's like, my ultimate motivator is the experiences in life. And I want to max out those experiences at whatever level of life I'm at. Like the things I'm doing now at 39 years old, I couldn't have imagined 10 years ago. And there were times in my life where what maxed it out was like, I had a dream to be a river guide since I was a kid. And then I moved out West and I finished college and I had a degree in professional chemistry that my dad had just sunk umpteen thousands of dollars into. And the first thing I did out of college is go run rivers for like 80 bucks a day or something like that. And that was my job. And I loved it. And I did it for five summers. And it was like one of my favorite parts of my life. And I'm this like professional grad who has this like chemistry degree background and I'm running rivers and spending time like hanging out in the wilderness. And that was so fulfilling for me of the experience. And so then it was like, okay, I did that for a while. And then what's the next thing? I've been a race coach for a downhill ski race team. I've sailed a racing boat from Hawaii to Los Angeles, 3000 miles across the Pacific ocean. Like I actually know what the center of the Pacific ocean smells like, which turns out doesn't smell like anything because it's just like completely neutral out there. So my, for me, like there are things I'm now looking at in my life that matter to me, this podcast being one of them and reaching as many people and like expanding beyond my private practice to be able to make a difference for a wider range of people. But it's also like my growth. Who would I have to be to be the kind of person that's known internationally and making a difference on all the continents in the world? Like I'd have to be different than I am right now. I would have to let go of stuff. I'd have to own things about myself. I'd have to evolve as a human being. I, have to, I definitely have to be willing to build a bigger team which has always been one of my challenges. So thank you for coming into my life to help me with that. <laughs> you know, it's like, that's the other piece and we'll go into kind of whatever else from here, but it's like living my dream life isn't necessarily just about accomplishing things. It's also always been about growth and development for me. And the physical body gives us a really interesting way to look at where are we stuck and where are we stopped and where are we not on our path because it gets sick when we're not on our path. And it gets mad and it hurts. Although I do also think that some people come into this life, like the way I heard it one time is like the most advanced souls choose the hardest life. It's like, they've done all the easy ones. And now they're like, okay, give me the most challenging circumstances. And let me see if I can find joy inside that. Let me see if I can find forgiveness inside that. So like, it's not the truth. It's a way to look at it. But sometimes, you know, when I see people that are in some really tough circumstances and really hard lives, I look at it from the perspective of that those are old wise souls giving themselves a real challenge of can they find peace and gratitude and love and joy inside of that. And it's not to diminish anybody's suffering or experiences because we all deal with that. But, um, you know, so like, who knows? It's a why cool perspective though, yeah. because it's like whether or not that's true, like it's an empowering way to look at things for yourself. Yeah. Like for me, then when I go through a challenge, if I can look at it being like, life is a challenge. Life is, you know, this game and how can I find the joy and improve and grow here where that feels, you know, not easy where that feels difficult. So, I mean, like you said, like, obviously we don't know so much about, about that 
what happens, you know, when you die, if you come back and whatever. But I do think that it is cool to to view it that way. Like that view can be a healthy mindset when it comes to tackling challenges, whether that be physical or mental or emotional or whatever anyway, yeah. at least like on an individual level, obviously putting that on somebody else can create issues, right. but yeah. for yourself, like that's a, that can be a really empowering way to view that. Yeah. And it's certainly for me, it's been a way, like one of the teachings that I've worked inside of is practicing nonviolence and, you know, um, that's nonviolence against others and nonviolence against yourself. And at this stage in my life, mostly what practicing nonviolence means is giving up grudges, forgiving things, letting go of resentments, letting go of regrets, expressing my love, sharing my gifts. Like it's like that level. And so for me, when I look at people through that lens, it also has me be way more compassionate to things they might be dealing with. And like, I'm looking at them through a lens of love and nonviolence that's been my experience. And then I get interested in what is it life really like for them? Like, I'm not going to make assumptions. Right. Totally. That makes a lot of sense. And I love the way that you talk about like things being connected as well. It, it, Mm -hmm. it takes me back to some other conversations that you and I have had. Um, like when we talked about that, depending on what issues you're having in your, in your body that can manifest as like cavities or teeth problems in like different areas of your mouth. Yeah. Like to me, that is, that is crazy. And for the listeners who don't know, my experience to naturopathic medicine before that, before working uh, with Sarah was, you know, close to none. You know, I, I've had some other clients who do sound therapy or have done acupuncture, but it's been a really limited exposure and with really specific modalities uh, of healing. Whereas like naturopathic medicine is more that holistic approach that organizing the orchestra of all the other doctors and all the other things that have come into play. And so I've never had those high level conversations of being able to see how, how one issue affects another issue. And, and you've talked about that affecting things outside of you too, like your relationship to sex affects your relationship with money and, and vice versa. Yeah. And I think that's something a lot of people don't think about is that, is that connectedness within and without themselves as to how like they relate to the world and to, to their own bodies. Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, I've done a lot of transformational education and coaching work and that's something we saw over and over again, which is, you know, you can have a breakthrough in an area, like in a relationship, like you have a breakthrough in a relationship with your mom, or you can have a breakthrough in your like being confident at work. And then it, you can't help it, but it's going to spill into every single area of your life. Like it ends up being much more holistic and, um, you know, holograms are really interesting and holographic theory is like a whole theory of looking at ways of, of looking at the world and in holographic theory or hologram at every level of the hologram, the image is complete and perfect and whole. So if you go all the way down to a microscopic level, the whole image is there. If you zoom all the way out to a macroscopic level, the image is there. So then the question becomes, well, which one's the right image? All of it, right? Which is a little mind bending than how we typically deal. But if you look at our bodies, our bodies are actually holographic. And what that means is you can be, you are holographic as a whole individual person. You've got your hands and your legs and your fingers and your toes and your face and you're complete. You, you know, and even if you don't have some fingers or you don't have an arm, you're still complete. That's you. That's your whole holographic self. Right. And then you have organ systems and your skin is one whole thing, organ system, and your stomach is one whole thing. And your liver is one whole thing. And your uterus is one whole thing. 
And then you go inside of that. And then there's levels of tissues. And then inside the tissues, there's cells. And now we're getting way better at learning what's going on inside of cells, which are like giant universes. It's incredible when you actually deal with the spatial distances that like a one, one thyroid hormone has to come through the extracellular matrix, make it to the outside of the cell, find the receptor site, get transported through the receptor inside the cell, signals through G protein. G protein makes a cascade of all of these other molecules. And when you actually deal with the scope of the size, it's not that far off to say it would be like us going to the moon and then off to Mars. So like these molecules are moving huge distances in very short periods of time, which is when we start to actually have to deal with the body as quantum. That's a whole nother podcast. But, um, you know, it's like, it's holographic. So every level is whole and complete. At the level of the Golgi bodies and the nucleus of the cell and the mitochondria of the cell, it's holographic. Inside the mitochondria, it's holographic. It's whole at every single level. Now, then it gets interesting if you zoom out. Some people say, we're not, it's not about us as individuals, it's the human race. And then the human race is actually whole and complete as one unit. And that maybe humans are even more bee-like, like hive-like, and that there's this universal understanding between all of us and that we exchange far more information telepathically or whatever you want to call that through the ether of universal consciousness between humans and groups of humans. And there's all kinds of interesting anthropological resources that kind of point to that being a real possibility. So you have to start dealing with it. So, so our lives are holographic. They're whole and complete at every level. You can look at the body and you can see what somebody's dealing with in their whole life. So I actually do a lot of talks for like business people and I'm often usually the only health practitioner there. There's money people and there's marketing people and there's social media people and everyone's sharing about different ways to impact their business. And then I come on stage and I start talking about how their body and their health is like, you know, most of them are entrepreneurs and if you get sick, your income stops. So it's a really big deal to take care of your body. But then I start sharing like, yeah, if you've got, gastroenteritis or you've got certain kinds of issues in your GI tract like one of the common ones is you know dealing with chronic heartburn or GERD um which is like uh um all of a sudden my brain is blanking now on the physiology of it but you have too much stomach acid or you have too little stomach acid your stomach's not working properly right well the stomach in Chinese medicine is all about delegation and being able to break big things down into usable parts because if you think about the size of a strawberry and the size of a molecule inside the strawberry that strawberry's got to get chewed up broken down all the way down to the tiny little parts so that your body can absorb it well that's what the stomach does so people that deal with a lot of stomach issues tend to deal with worry they literally ulcerate themselves if it gets bad enough with worry and stress and they have a really hard time delegating and they tend to not be good at breaking big things down into all of the doable parts. And so I'll say that. And I watch like 10% of the faces in the audience are like, how does she know that about me? <laughs> you know. And then we like go through these other systems. But it's like one of my favorite things I learned from Chinese medicine practitioners is to look at the body like poetry. Everything's a metaphor. And so, you know, if somebody like I'll use me as an example, one of my things that I still deal with is I've got a little squishy disc in my low back that kind of gets bulged out and I'll deal with low back pain and I literally get weak and my low back is unsupported. And it always correlates to a time when I'm having the experience of working too hard, doing things for other people and not having enough emotional or physical support coming back in the other direction. Now, what I've learned 
is that's more on me than it is on them, where I'm not making requests, I'm not asking for what I need, or I'm not doing the work I know to do to refill my cup and take care of myself. But as soon as my back starts to hurt, it's a giant red flag for me to like look there in my life. And I get on my inversion table and I do my stretches and I cut the inflammatory foods out of my diet. So like I do it from both sides, but it's all connected. Well, that's, I mean, you definitely have an edge in knowing those connections that like normal people don't have. But what I think a lot of people don't think to do is seek out that information. Yeah. And in one of the episodes this season, um, it's escaping me which one I can probably find it and link it in the show notes. But we discuss um, the idea of that, like they're essentially being like a body chart. Like if you're experiencing pain in this area of your body, it correlates to this, you know, like emotional need or vice versa. Mm -hmm. Do you remember having that conversation at all? I'm going to bet it's Robert Cyprian talking about applied kinesiology because, you know, and that would be what episode 11, because that was, that's kind of the basis of inside of applied kinesiology, the way everything's connected. And, you know, I have injured my right knee and I'm a downhill skier. So any typical orthopedist would say, duh, you're a skier. You blew out your ACL. That's what happens to skiers. But I think I might've told the story in the episode. I happened to blow my knee out on what would have been my fourth wedding anniversary, seven months after my divorce. And I was married to a ski patrolman. So I'm at a ski resort staring at ski patrol guys going skiing that day. I've been skiing since I was two and a half. Why that day did I roll my ankle, catch an edge and blow my knee on the first turn of the first run of the day? Like that was a hundred percent emotional. And I even know when I was going up the chairlift, how emotional I was, I was checked out and I wasn't present. And so I even actually had this really spiritual body worker and she d- doesn't know anything about me. She'd never met me before. And she's working on my knee and she looks at me and she goes, your ex-husband's in your knee. So like that kind of stuff, right? Like, oh wow, that's like kind of even further out there, but even just like pain correlations. And it's not that the physical pain isn't real. It is real. Right. And you can connect it to organ system function. You can connect it to emotional traumas. You can connect it to memories that we've stored in different parts of the body, like all that. Which is just, you know, I think that a lot of people don't really don't think about those connections. And I, and I truly hadn't, but something you just said a little bit ago, which was uh, like, even like, like you mentioned, like something good happens to you, like you get a promotion or something. And then all of a sudden that impacts like how you think about other things or, or your general outlook on things, which then can affect like how motivated you are maybe to like eat better or like just everything like kind of in our own thought process is connected And, um, and it's, it's kind of interesting because I think about, you know, you and I had a conversation the other day where you were talking to me about how to, how to think about my business. Right. And, and, and to talk to people who might be able to help me connect to other people who, who might be interested in, in working with me, who might, who might need help in those areas. And I actually was just so excited by our conversation alone that I have a friend who runs a marketing business in Arizona, like very similar, like we could almost be competitor type business, you know? And I was like, I just have to share this with you. This was so incredible. And like this whole positive attitude, which affected her. And it, and then it did almost like exactly what you said anyway, because then she was like, well, you know, I do need help with my podcast. And I, she was not <laughs> someone I wanted to reach out to for help. Yep. Like it, it totally was, you know, so it's like my 
my relationship to business changed through that conversation with you, which then just made me more excited to talk about business, which then is getting me more business, right? And so then I'm stoked and I'm having, you know, not that I have problems in my relationship. I like barely got married two weeks ago, you know, like my relationship is great, but I just like that whole day, my attitude was great. Like I was so, I felt so like present and joyous about everything. And I just think that like, that is a very, very small and minute example, but of, of like one instance, being able to have this sort of like domino or ripple effect in in how you think about your relationships with other people, your relationship with yourself, like, um, and I felt less tired because I was excited, you know, and it's like, there's so many things where where I can see that connection on an emotional level. And because I don't have like the background to see it on the in the inside. I I do think that it it is interesting to know that that magnifies inside the body as well as, as well as outside. Yeah. Do you have any, um, so you, you talked about your knee, but do you have any other like important examples of, of healing or of those connections that have occurred for you? So this is so good. My brain just exploded. I'm like, we have to talk about nine different things, but, um, the other one I want to go to, and, and this research is getting done more and more, but it's still like, it's pretty cutting edge where we're starting to, to truly map out like scientifically the connections between childhood trauma or certain issues that people deal with mentally, emotionally that directly impact their bodies. Like we actually have hardcore scientific evidence that if you're empowered, your immune system works better. And if you're disempowered, it doesn't. Like, this is not like, oh, that's cute. No, like literally. (laughs) And so, you know, what's interesting, and I'm going to do that thing that you shouldn't do, where I'm going to speak about something that I haven't really researched that much, but it's a really fascinating idea. And then we can back it up when we look at this show notes later. But my understanding is they're starting to actually see that there truly are higher COVID infection rates in communities of color, African-American, black, brown, people of different color, and, and that there's nothing physiologic in our body different. We are the identical genetic human beings, but circumstances are very different for these different cultures and communities, especially in the United States, where there's food deserts, and there's a lot of what we're dealing with in these conversations of racism, and where people have been discriminated, and they've been left out, and they've not been offered the same opportunities, even though every other thing is the same. And what that actually does to your immune system could be literally, we could be seeing the physical impact of our lack of compassion and companionship and empowering each other showing up just like that in this pandemic. Like that's like a big version. And I will definitely get down into my life too. And like what I was going to share about is there's this incredible Dr. Mario Martinez. He's actually was a psychologist or psychiatrist. I'm not sure which one, but he works in mental health originally. And he's now moved into a field of study that is what I did all my medical research in, in, in grad school in med school was psychoneuroimmunology. And it's basically the Latin term for brain, mind, immune system connection. And now there's also a field that's psychoneuroimmunoendocrinology because, you know, let's just smash them all together. But the main idea is, is we're really starting to see the interconnection between the regulatory systems of the body, the systems of the body that regulate keeping us alive, the immune system, the brain, and the endocrine system. And 
our stress levels and what happens to us, but we can get way beyond for a long time. We're like, yes, of course, stress impacts health, but we've gotten way more detailed about like literally specifically, what does that mean? Because people fall in different categories. And what Mario Martinez, what Dr. Martinez started to look at is the difference between shame, isolation, and betrayal. And basically most people can sort of put themselves in a category, which one of these three they tend towards. I tend towards isolation. So shame and betrayal both tend to have components of, well, actually I'll put it this way. Betrayal has a tendency where we look outward. Things are happening to us. We're being betrayed by the outside world. People, events, circumstances are doing it to us. And I want to be clear, there's nothing wrong with any of these three. These are all psychological states that we deal with. And there's a whole world of neuroscience about why one child will end up in a shame spiral, another child will isolate, and another child will go into blame. And it's literally like a split decision that happened in a moment of a traumatic event when you're a kiddo. Then your brain gets so flooded with the amygdala hijack that it anchors that brain pattern in and it becomes a survival mechanism going forward. Because we're social creatures, to survive in society is literally how we live. And so we have all these survival mechanisms in our brain hardwired. So it's not like you like did something, you just literally, your brain made a decision in a moment of survival and you end up in one of these three camps. What's interesting about it is shame is inflammatory and betrayal is inflammatory and isolation is like, I don't know exactly the best word for it, but it, it, they actually talk about it's cooling. It like, it like reduces the nutrition that's available. And so it's a, it's a, like a downward state into a de deficiency. That's the word I'm looking for. It's a deficiency state. Whereas shame has heat to it and it's inflammatory and there's like excess and betrayal has a lot of heat to it and there's even more excess. And then you get into like, why is one person an anorexic and another person binge eats? It could literally be right here. Why one person's gonna eat more food and another person's gonna restrict. And so you'll see these patterns my tendency is somewhere split between shame or isolation. And I have a bigger tendency toward isolation. I will do things on my own by myself. And when you look at my pathology in my body, there's lots of things where it's tightening and constricting and closing down on myself. So initially an asthma, which is a spasm of the bronchial tubes in your lungs, which is a shutting down and a closing in, tightening and spasming, that then eventually I got my tonsils taken out when I was 18 which in theory was good because I had antibiotic resistant strep throat, but then now my body didn't have that part of the immune system to work off of and things just went deeper. So I started to get migraine headaches. Migraine headaches are the spasm and the constriction and the shutting down of the arteries in your brain. So you lose vascular flow. That goes into seasonal depression in my college years. Seasonal depression is a mental emotional shutting down and closing in and then chronic constipation develops which I still have 20 years later with all the work I've been doing, which is a shutting down and closing in of the colon. So we've literally just watched this pattern work its way through my entire body. And I have a tendency when stressed or pushed, I will shut down, close in, lock the door, kick you out, handle it myself and come out when I'm better. <laughs> and so I have to yeah. like check myself that that's my pattern. And so it's really interesting, the work that um, Dr. Martinez has done, and he specifically actually has studied longevity. That's what he's been looking at is like, really, what is it that has certain populations have more centrarians than others? And what his research has found is that really only maybe 30% of it has to do with genetics. 
The other 60-70% really is culture that's around them and what he calls like the inherited conversations. And one of the most fascinating examples he gave in an interview was menopause. So menopause is a normal physiologic state where the woman's endocrine system alters its expression. And there's less estrogen and progesterone and the ovaries stop producing it and the adrenals take over and they produce a little. Now, if you've been running the can, burning the candle at both ends and running crazy all through your reproductive years, your adrenal glands are gonna be smoked. And why people have hot flashes and deal with really severe symptoms during menopause is often a product of toxicity buildup, chronic inflammation, and their adrenal glands don't have anything left to be able to continue to produce estrogen and progesterone after menopause. But what was really interesting was he talked about the difference between menopause in Japan and in Uruguay, which is his native country. In Japan, the word for menopause translates into a second spring. And they consider it this like next birthing process or moving into this next phase of a lovely experience of being a woman entering into your years of wisdom. Interestingly enough, very few women in Japan deal with hot flashes or any sort of severe symptoms around menopause. They just like transition and it's this amazing shift in their life. In Uruguay, the word for menopause also translates into the word for shame. And in Latin American cultures, it is like rampant that people deal with horrible cramps and pain and emotional challenges and depressions and all kinds of things that they deal with going through menopause. And now we could look at diet and we could look at those kinds of things, but predominantly what he's finding is the cultural context gives more of our ability you know, to process this like thing that every single woman on the planet is gonna go through. Well, and that's, I think that that makes a lot of, a lot of sense in one, in one way, it sounds like groundbreaking. Cause it's like, holy cow, that's like such a tangible example of, of our words and our culture being creative within us. But I also think that there are like some really small examples of that in my personal life. Um, like for example, with my seven-year-old, if I'm making something she hasn't eaten, she'll be like, do you think I'll like it? And if I'm like, yeah, I think you're going to love it. Then she's usually like, I do love it. It's so good. And if I'm like, I don't know. You've never really had it before, but just try it out. And then she tends to like, be like, I don't really like it. Can I just have macaroni and cheese? You know? Mm-hmm. And, and, and we, we do try to like avoid some of those things. And I do try to diversify her diet. And I've learned a lot of, of her enjoyment of an experience depends on whether or not she feels we expect she will enjoy it. Wow. And, and the same thing happens with chores, right? So like, if it's a chore day, it's not, you know, she's still pretty young. She has to clean her room. She helps with her laundry. Um, she does, she's incredibly helpful in general, but, um, I think a lot of that's come from the way that we, that we've talked about it. And it's like, do you want to clean the bathroom with me? I'm going to clean the bathroom and listen to some music. Do you want to clean the bathroom? And she was like, yeah, I totally want to clean the bathroom with you. And probably maybe that she's a kid. She's probably not going to want to do that with me when she's like 14. But but you're, but you're planting point, seeds, but yes, totally. Yeah, yeah. And at this point, I like there was a time a couple months ago where I started cleaning the bathroom and she ran in and she was like, you're cleaning the bathroom without me. And she was, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> she was so upset, you know? Right. And, and it's because we, t- I talked with her about it initially, like, Hey, this is going to be fun. Yeah. And then if we, if we complain, we're like, Oh, it's a laundry day. Like I hate laundry day, I hate pulling laundry. And then I realized the way that affects her because then today she's like, Ugh, do we have to do laundry today? Whereas every other chore, she's like down about it, you know? Yeah. 
And and I think that that has has such a distinct shift. And then there's a darker side of that too. Like I I had already mentioned I recently got married, and so I bought my dress a while ago, and then. COVID-19 happened and I all of a sudden wasn't working out at my gym anymore and I was still eating the same and I was stressed and everything happening now so I gained some weight and so my dress didn't really fit me and it was like I didn't really think to try it on again because it had fit me so well and I didn't realize I was gaining weight and it's like right before my wedding I'm like oh no my dress doesn't fit me and so I'm like okay I have to go on like a pretty strict diet for like two weeks and try and cut some of my water weight get rid of like I don't know stop drinking beers for two weeks and see if that helps cut it back whatever Mm -hmm. And, you know, so that kind of conversation was around. And then I bought a pair of Spanx to make sure everything just like looked nice in my dress. And she was kind of around for some of that conversation. And then the next day I caught her looking in the mirror and she was like, am I fat? Wow. That didn't take long. Not at all. And she's seven. And it was like her overhearing me, you know, kind of in one particular instance being like, I'm gaining a lot of weight. Like I need to lose it. Like I want my tummy to be flat for my wedding dress and just instantly changes her expectations of her own body. Yeah. And it's like, if I had never said that, if I'd always been like, yeah, you know, all bodies are great. Like, I love my body. Like, this is just where my uterus is. It's okay if it's a little bigger here. Like, and so I, so I kind of, I talked to, talked to my husband and was just like, you know, I'm, I won't, like, I won't talk negatively about my body with her. Cause I don't want to create that expectation for her. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't really even talk negative about like a lot of the pains of like, because we've got into a little bit, you know, like she'll ask, like she knows about menstruation and like we've yeah. talked some of some, in some details about that. And, you know, like I kind of, she's always like, oh, does it hurt? And I'm like, you know, yeah, it can sometimes, but like if you, if you're eating healthy, if you're resting, you can put heat on it. You can like, you know, so I don't ever, I try not to talk about things like they're this horrible thing because it is so tangible how whether or not she expects something to be bad or to be good really impacts her enjoyment of those things. Yeah. And I think that, you know, where we can get ourselves into trouble is if we get too caught up on like censoring ourselves in order to like, as an in order to, in order to produce a result or whatever. And what I think is, and kids pick up on this. I mean, they, it's like they're little energy readers all the time. It's not even really what comes out of our mouth. It's like oh, yeah. the energetics of it or who we're being about it. And so there's a difference between complaining and authentically sharing something you're dealing with, right? And so that's where I think like with anybody around us, because it's actually like, I'm really sensitive to people's energy and I can, you know, when somebody's inspired and lit up and they're really happy, like I feel how good that is. And if somebody's just complaining and they're just like upset, but they're upset inside of like kind of being stuck in it. Right. I, it's like this energy suck for me, but yet I spend my entire day coaching people dealing with some really tough stuff. Like I'll spend seven, eight hours on zoom, you know, on video conferences, talking to people every day that are not it's not complaining in those conversations occasionally but mostly they're sharing what they're dealing with inside of a commitment to something so like that's the other thing too and and to start to notice the difference like mm-hmm. are we just being down on ourselves and complaining and bitching and moaning and groaning about something or is it literally like okay yeah this like this is like and i'm trying to think how i would shift it around like your wedding dress or whatever but like you know well we were able to shift it so <clears throat> so after she said that i was like i was like one no you're not you know she's like weighs 40 pounds like obviously she is not she's not overweight um but i was like no you're not and you know and i and i'm 
not either. Like my body weight's normal and it's really not like being overweight also doesn't mean you're unhealthy. The problem is I've gained weight because I've been being unhealthy. Mm. I've made choices during this time to like not keep working out at home since I can't go to the gym where even though the gym's closed, I could have been doing this at home. And I've been making the choice to like, because I don't have to go to work in the morning and I can sleep in because I don't have to commute. You know, it's like, I'll let myself have an extra beer. And it's like, you know, I'm drinking more beer and I'm not working out at all. And I'm home all day where all my snacks are. And, <laughs> yes. and, and so I was able to have that conversation Good. with her and reframe it around like the issue is that I'm not healthy right now. Yeah. It's not, you know, what my body looks like. Now, I mean, I have a pragmatic instance right now where I have to fit into a dress and because mm-hmm. I can't buy another one. Yep. But the issue is like that I'm that we need to that we need to be healthy and we need to eat healthy food and make healthy choices for awesome. our bodies and yeah. love them that way rather than like be mad at them for getting bigger. And she was like, oh, okay. You know, and then I've never heard her say anything like that again. Mm-hmm. And but now of course she like, like children do are not afraid to ever call you out, you know, and now I'll have like three beers and she'll be like, are you, is that a healthy choice? <laughs> <laughs> there are little integrity checkers, our ca- accountability people. It's pretty amazing. Oh right? yeah, yeah. Yeah. She so, asked me this morning and she's like, I need to get my bike tire fixed. Cause the last time we went on a bike ride, her bike tire popped. And she's like, I know that you're not, uh, that at, now that the wedding is over, you're not trying to be so healthy anymore, but I'd still like to go on a bike ride. <laughs> Oh my gosh. And out of the mouths of babes, the truth comes out. That's awesome. And it's like truly like, and obviously she doesn't, my, my commitment to eating healthier is not necessarily different, but I think she does like, she's not seeing me count my calories in my app anymore. And like, so she's, she's picking up on some of those things, which is kind of entertaining, but, but man, that connection with, with creative energy is so obvious with our influence over, over Mm -hmm. children. Mm Mm-hmm. So it makes yeah, sense. And it would just be and it's obvious too. there, but yes, and it's it's there with all of us, and it's in our, you know, and we have. I don't want to get too down on it. But we have a bit of a challenge in the culture that we live in to maintain that, you know, and that's like that's one of the things too where I think a lot of put people put it. Well, I know people put a huge amount, and I have this tendency. I put a lot of pressure on myself. Like I mean, especially given what I do for a living, it's like I remember. I think it was about two years ago. I, you know, I've got a pretty big following on Facebook and, and I actually posted really authentically, like I've been a naturopath for 10 years. I've been in the industry for 15. I've been exploring diets my whole life, not like dieting, but like I was raised vegetarian and I checked out vegan and I tried out macrobiotic. I did this crazy thing called chronobiotic where you eat different foods based on the time of the day. And it was all based on like when the sun touched them. So like you ate tree foods in the morning, which would hit the sun first. And then you ate middle ground foods in the afternoon and then anything underground like tubers and seafood at night tried that one out like I've like you know I was playing with my body chemistry like crazy yeah what happens when you change these different factors and my tendency is to always be like it's me I messed up it's me no I just made a bad choice I just don't have enough discipline I I I you know like that so often is where we always default to like if we can even vocalize any of that down below all of that frustration and criticism is actually apathy. <laughs> Apathy's below all of that where you're like, I don't even care anymore or there's no point because nothing's ever going to change. But I really encourage people to be willing to look outside themselves at the environment they're surrounded in. Now I'm going to put a little like, there's a pitfall here, which I actually on a different webinar, 
um, I was a guest in a like health summit and she asked me an interesting question about, you know, what do you think about, or how do you handle toxic relationships? Something, something that line. And I actually, I don't believe in toxic relationships. I think that that's not an empowering way to look at any relationship with anybody. And I do know that some relationships are additive and they create life in you. And some relationships, it's not that, but you actually have control over how that goes. You can do something about it. But still, if we look, one could say our health is a product of the environment we live in. Now, the cool thing is you actually do have control over that environment, but it's way harder to deal with enrolling your spouse and getting your kids on board and dealing with the snack vending machines at work, which right now we don't have to worry about because we're not going into work. But, you know, there's, <laughs> there's this world we live in. And it's so interesting because like, you know, I'm a naturopath. I'm trained in herbal medicine. I'm trained in, you know, using food as medicine and doing therapeutic diets. Like I have all these things that can change the biochemistry internally. A lot of what I do with my clients is truly coaching. And coaching is about altering somebody's view of life. And like, that was exactly what you were talking about before with your business. You had one view. We talked for two hours. You had a new view. It looked different. And inside of that new view, there were new actions to take, including wanting to share. And this is a little bit of like looking at the man behind the curtain here. I'm going to give everyone a hint into the whole reason why I want Heal the Podcast in the world is because the way that we're doing it alters people's view of what's possible. When you listen to these podcasts and our guests are so authentically sharing their stories and their testimonials and what it's been like for them and what they've done and what's possible, it just alters something. You can't unsee what you've seen. So if I can open it up and I can have people discover that it's possible that you could go seven years without an epileptic seizure, that it's possible that you could actually work through all the layers of heroin addiction in the way that our guests have, you know, it's like each one of those stories. And even if you're not dealing with that exact circumstance, you're going to map it onto your own life. And when that happens, something new opens up, right? So in getting that new view, it alters our actions and our behaviors. And so that's a huge part of what actually makes my practice more successful because to be totally honest, people are terrible at doing what you tell them to do. <laughs> yeah, like I bet. There's actually huge amounts of study that have gone into this and there's a bell curve and it's straight up and you get this, if you don't incorporate anything in the realm of coaching or altering somebody's view, you will get a very predictable outcome from any exercise routine, diet program, anything like corporate coaching is one of the big ones where they've started implementing all kinds of different corporate health wellness programs. And if they don't have anything like this in there, if there's no education that does this and you just make it available, people can do yoga, you make it available, people can do these weight challenges, you like provide the education just literally about the doing of the thing. Here's what you get. 60% of all of your population will take it on. They will try something. They will agree. They will sign up if you have that kind of a culture. But typically, it's about 60% will at least be a yes to consider it. Of the 100% to begin with, right? Of that 60%, 30% of them, so like half of them, but 30% of your original population will try maybe something and then immediately quit and move on and do something else. Or they will sign up and then they'll never actually take action. 
then you're left with a 30% of your original population who will actually even take this on and move forward. Then as you continue on, you will end up with 10% of your original 100% who get fairly decent results and they take quite a light on. You'll get 3% who get extraordinary results and you'll get 1% that put up those numbers. This is also the true for sales. This is true for like any, it's the exact same bell curve no matter mm-hmm. what you do if you don't alter it. And then here's what they found in their studies. Those 10% that are getting the results, yeah, they were already doing yoga. They would have done yoga. They've done yoga before. They've tried diets. You didn't alter any of their behavior. You took a person who already does a thing and now they're doing the thing inside their corporate wellness program. So you haven't really altered anything about your predictable results. It requires a particular kind of education to have that other 30%, 60%, 100% make new actions that they wouldn't have already taken. And it all comes right. from altering the view, which this is actually the premise of transformational education. And there's linear education, which is what almost all of us got in school. And then there's transformational education. And there's tons of amazing programs out there, some of which have been mentioned in the podcast episodes already, like Landmark, Tony Robbins. Um, you know, Joe Dispenza does a lot of this work in his work around meditation and like how you can actually alter your view. But anything, for a lot of people, a life-changing circumstance does it. You know, having a heart attack will do it. Losing a parent will do it. Almost losing a parent or a child, it will alter your view. One of my friend's brothers just got in a car accident two days ago that could have been fatal and it wasn't. He actually literally got scraped up and he walked out of it. And it's like life is not the same today as it was on Sunday before the accident happened because it just like shook up that, wait a minute, what am I doing? What's really important to me? So when we can alter our view, that's where the new actions come from. And coaching can do it, taking on an experiment for a week or 21 days or 30 days. So that's why some of those diet programs really make a difference in the long term is because after you've done something, you've committed to it for 30 days then you go, oh my gosh, my knee pain really is gone. It's really not worth it to keep eating gluten or nightshades or whatever it is because it's so much more worth it to not have the knee pain. And me being in this world for a long time, I test those things all the time. I'm like, okay, I know Mm -hmm. that these foods aren't great for me, but let's see how much I can, I swim up the pendulum swings symptoms come back. My body starts feeling a certain way. And I'm like, oh yeah, it's that thing. And then I tighten it back up and I have a naturopath, chiropractor, an acupuncturist, massage therapist, and at least two or three coaches around me in varying capacities to keep me in accountability. And, and so that's that environment I've created for myself. So having well, that, that environment me, will alter your, your success rate. Well, that makes me think too, like that idea of like, so you're coaching, you're changing people's perspective. And so I think a big piece of that is new information. And what you just said reminded me of a conversation we had kind of in, when we first started this, you and I, about this idea that um, worry that most people who haven't been exposed to naturopathic medicine or anything like that before, who their experience with medicine and health is westernized medicine, that they are like, well, yeah, I'm healthy because I don't have cancer or a chronic disease or something like that. So then you 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 told me that I don't know if it was at like a conference we were a part of or if this is like an intake thing you do I don't remember that detail but the point is that you have people like essentially grade themselves and so you're asking questions they've never asked you know like how much sleep are you getting every night yeah. like real sleep yeah. do you feel rested do you feel rested four hours after you wake up do you feel rested eight hours after you wake up like where do you regularly have pain in your body and these are things I think most people ignore because they're like 
eh, it's not diagnosable, so I'm fine. Yep. And you don't realize you're not healthy. So you're talking about like, well, I will test those things and I'll add some gluten or add this back in because I just want to see if it will be fine. And then symptoms come back. And I wonder how many people, myself included, are living with, you know, stomach discomfort or like lack of sleep or whatever that, that they're not changing because they don't know it could be different. Yeah. Like they don't even realize they're tired because they've never experienced true rest mm-hmm. or they don't realize that their stomach aches kind of upset because they've never gone longer than a week without diarrhea or, yeah. you know what I yeah. mean? Like whatever it is, it's like how many people think they're healthy because by Westernized medicine's definition of health, meaning you don't have a diagnosable issue, mm-hmm. think that they're fine, that they can yeah. keep eating that way. They can keep drinking that way. They can keep sleeping that way. They can, you know, whatever that put X thing in the box, right? Yeah. Because they're not aware of like what it actually looks like to be and feel healthy. Yeah. And that's an important thing I think we overlook is like, like it's easy for me to be like, yeah, I'm healthy. You know, like I'm, I'm fairly thin, I'm active. I don't like dessert very much. And I don't, you know, like my, my weakness is definitely like salty foods more than it is sweet foods. But um, it's, it's easy to be like, you know, I live a, a, a fairly balanced diet. I make all my meals at home for the most part. I exercise a lot and I'm healthy. But then it's like, as we're having this conversation about like symptoms, right? It's like, I do almost always have a stomach ache and I'm almost always tired and my ankle almost always hurts. Mm-hmm. And it's like, but, it, but they're so normal that, you know, I'm like, eh, I'm fine. I'm healthy. Yeah. And that's where it becomes really important to start having those discussions, start doing that self audit of, yeah, I'm fine where could I be living my dream life? Yeah. Where could it be better? And I'm glad you said it that way. Cause one of the things too, is I don't want to like now have everyone walk away and be like, I'm messed up and it's bad. Right. Like, cause it's not going to help you either. But is, um, one of the ways I put this when I share about it is it's like you have a health bank account. Now, if you went into your financial advisor and you said the following statement, they would think you're crazy. Oh my God. I'm set for life. I have $0 in my bank account, but I don't have any debt. Like they'd be like, sorry, honey, you got a ways to go until you're wealthy and you have what you need for retirement, right? This is a very common understanding of what we need to do in our society. We have 401k programs and we have matching programs and we have all these retirements and pensions. We have this whole strategy built around and our jobs are enrolled in it, and our bosses are enrolled in it, and our culture is enrolled in it. We've got this world, right? And there's an entire industry called financial advisors that have one purpose, and that's to manage your wealth. I've actually dealt with student loan debt and credit card debt, and it's remarkably hard to find experts in debt, actually. They all want to be experts in wealth. If we had this in the healthcare industry, our hospitals would be full of athletes looking to maximize their performance. And we would have very little need for doctors because almost everybody would be pain and symptom free building towards that future. So what I want to create is the distinction of a disease state would be like you're in debt. And when you have these symptoms, it's like a negative withdrawal against your balance. But in your case, you do also have lots of places you've put deposits in you cook many of your meals at home, you have a supportive environment of relationships, you do things that you love, you've got great hobbies, you just built a chicken coop, you have beautiful bees in your backyard, you're excited about your life. Those are all things that actually go into making deposits in your health bank account. When we're not shut down with COVID, you're exercising, you're at the gym, like that, right? 
And so for my new clients, and when I do talk about this, I talk about there's lots of different categories. I made up 10, you could come up with more or less or whatever, but basically there's 10 categories of ways that we can put deposits in our health bank account to build up our wealth. And you can take withdrawals. You can go to Vegas and have a really big weekend. You can like do some things or you can run an ultra marathon, which actually usually takes a pretty big withdrawal against your bank account. And you got to make sure you have rest and recovery and afterwards to rebuild after that kind of a stress. So, you know, and then there's the unexpected things of a child gets sick or you're a primary caretaker of a parent at home or your husband is out of work and you've got to go back to work or you've got to work a double job. If your health bank account was full, those things, just like your regular financial bank account, you can figure out how to weather it, right? But we don't operate in our culture this way. And a little bit of the bad news is the answer to your question, how many people are walking around like this? All of them. All yeah. of them. <laughs> and how yeah. I know it's all of them is because in our culture at this time, it's so normal. We can't even wrap our head around anything else. Everyone will die of a chronic illness. Everyone. There's like a very small percentage of people who will be murdered or die in an accident, but everybody else, and I don't think either of those are really great ways to go either, right? Right, right. Everybody right. else will die of a chronic illness. I've it's, never thought about it that way, but yeah, it is. I mean, it's not like I mean, you all of a sudden have an issue. Who actually dies of old age in this country? It's very few people. It's like the one person who looks to be 110 and it's in the news because it's like, wow, nobody does this. Right. And yeah. it's, and, and even, you know, and now that's a whole nother podcast, which is our lack of power and compassion and distinction around death and dying. Because then there's another part that I could easily hear somebody say, which is, well, yeah, but we always, we live in a society where you have to have a cause of death. And so they have to put a disease down on there somewhere. And like, and actually I should edit. It's not true that everyone will die of chronic illness. They will all die of a disease, right? Now, pneumonia is considered kind of like the graceful killer because there'll be people where pneumonia will take them. And, you know, but typically if you really look, look at, just look in your own life, your grandparents, your aunts and uncles, your own parents, you can list that at least eight out of 10, if not nine out of 10 had preconditions. They had diabetes, they had cancer, they've had this, they've had that. Like I do health histories with all my clients and I ask them about their family history. And I would say about one out of every 10 people that talk about family members will mention a couple family members that they don't think had any diseases. Now, one, we don't really know because we don't always know our family history either because lots of people won't tell people about what they're dealing with, right? But if you really look, and we could actually pull up statistics and put a little thing in the show notes if we wanted to about this, but in reality, my understanding and everything I've seen is, and we're all going to get this, right? And most chronic illnesses start to show up in the fifth and sixth decades of life, in your 50s and 60s. It's not like all of a sudden you turn 50 and you get a disease, like you were totally fine, and then on your 50th birthday, bam, it hits you. No, it takes 50 years of all those little symptoms that were warning signs, your body was talking to you to tell you something's off. This isn't quite right. I'm handling it right now, but I'm not going to be able to compensate too much longer. And it gets louder and louder and louder. And I'll tell you a few of the big ones that go so under the radar. And the biggest one, for my opinion, clinically is insomnia. 
because sleep is Mm. when we heal and repair our cells. Our Mm -hmm. cells do all their cellular repair at night. The majority of our detox pathways are most active at night. It's overnight when we sleep. And I know there are people out there that are like, but I can totally survive on four to five hours of sleep. You can survive on it. You will end up with a health condition at some point. And you'll never see it in the epidemiology. You'll never see it in the literature that actually says like 20 years of sleep deprivation is the reason for this thing. But if you didn't have that time for cellular repair and recovery and detoxification, you're never going to get there. And so there's a few of these, and we're now discovering a lot about the GI tract and how important digestive health is in the microbiome. That's a whole thing. And we're starting to discover more and more about the importance of sleep and neurologic health and brain health. That's kind of the next big conversation people are having. And so from that standpoint, your digestive health, but a lot of people don't have any digestive symptoms, but that does not mean that your digestion is working correctly because there's a whole bunch of other ways. Joint pain can be a digestive issue. Migraine headaches can be a digestive issue. Allergies, seasonal allergies can be a digestive issue. And those are things that like, that's a common thing that naturopaths know that's not common in our cultural understanding. Well, but I'm assuming that the good news is, is that uh, like, let's say somebody who's 60 years old is listening to this podcast, right? And they're like, oh shit, I've, that's me, you know? Like I did not take care of myself very well. And now I'm realizing that I'm having those issues and maybe that is connected to my years of insomnia or, you know, my, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming that the good news here is it's not too late to like start working on that. No, you know, I, this is truly my stand, but I truly do believe that the body's capable of healing anything. And I literally mean anything. Now you might have a chromosomal defect and there'll be a few specific things that but you can be whole and complete and healthy and powered even with that thing. You know, some people, the whole diagnosis, all the, the actual criteria of that diagnosis are no longer observable. And, and we have a big resistance to saying the word cure in this country, but call it what you want, right? If you don't have any of the criteria left for the disease itself, some people, they might still have a marker or two. Like I know people with um, MS that still have myelination issues when they go in and they do all the scans, but they have zero symptoms and their life is incredible and they feel really good. So do they have MS or do they not have MS? Pathologically, there's pathological changes, but they experience this really incredible high level of wellness. So it's kind of like our guest Ralph about epilepsy. He's like, "Mm, I probably still technically have it, but I haven't had a seizure in seven years. So I don't even know what that means anymore. I don't have seizures. Do I have epilepsy? Do I care, right? That question comes up. So yes, I do truly believe that the body can heal anything if it's put in the proper environment. Here's the catch. The deeper the disease, the more intense it is, and the older you are, the more significant, aka drastic, severe, your life changes will have to be to heal. So like, there's not going to be a little diet change that's going to pull you out of that. It's sort of the same equivalent going back to like, if we could put a number on how much debt you're in, if you're 70 years old and you haven't saved for retirement and you don't have anything put away and you need a million dollars to retire, you got to get some serious business going and you got to come up with a huge game plan, how to generate that kind of revenue, right? It's exactly the same. Is it possible? Absolutely. And literally, there was a time where we had sanitariums in Europe 
where you would go, and that didn't have anything to do with mental illness, by the way, that's what they were called. You would go to a beautiful chalet, chalet in the mountains with fresh air and all your food would be prepared for you. And there would be hydrotherapy baths and steam rooms and massage therapy and your whole world, they'd take the stress away from you and you just had one job and it was to heal. And they had incredible success rates with basically anything that wasn't like literally almost terminal. And even then it was amazing what actually could be done. And that's where a lot of the original naturopathic and homeopathic work was getting done. And that's like the opposite of a hospital. Uh-huh. Hospitals like are so stressful. They're yeah. so stressful and isolating and, and cold. And uh, yeah, it sounds like the opposite yeah. of that, which is really, which is really interesting. But it is good to know that like at any point you realize like, hey, maybe I'm not in my optimal health. Um, and I feel pretty, even, even for people who feel pretty damn good, you know, it's yeah. like, where can you inch more towards your dream life? Going back again to that connectedness of like, well, yeah. now if you're maybe cognizant about your health, how might that affect your view of your business and your relationships? And it's like that pursuing that connection and, and pursuing that dream life is, is a worthy goal, you know, whenever someone decides to take that on. And, and yeah. like you said, it can be scarier if you're, starting this with more of a, of a, of a health deficit, right. Or, or starting later, it might take a bigger, a bigger sacrifice or a bigger change, but it's still very much possible. I'm assuming to get to that point where you do feel like you're living your dream life, where you are, where you are building those really strong, strong connections in the different areas uh, of your life. Well, and honestly, that's what, you know, heal is about is, is capturing those stories of people that have done it. Right. And like, I made this timeline up. I'm saying it right now. I made this up, but it's a really seems to be a pretty good rule of thumb, which is for every year you've been dealing with something, it's going to take a month to heal it. Now, if it's been only one year and it's really short, that's kind of tricky, but it's anything long-term. And when you actually, the thing you have to tell yourself the truth about is how long have you actually been dealing with this? So if I have somebody who's 35 years old and they can look all the way back to being five years old and having pediatric migraines or abdominal migraines, we're looking at 30 years. And so that's 30 months or a little under, you know, three years, it's like two and a half years. And if you, if I have somebody who truly is all in committed in two and a half years, and I've done this over and over and over again with hundreds of patients, and many of them have been on this podcast already in season one, like Cora's story of healing fibromyalgia, you know, we're just now in June, you know, coming up on her one year anniversary of naturopathic care. And she really has, 32 years of accumulated emotional stress, emotional toxicity, physical issues. And like, she can see threads all the way through her teen years. And it wasn't fibromyalgia that whole time, but it was like building up to that point. And in only 12 months, we've had massive headway. Now she still deals with fibromyalgia flares and she has pretty severe nights sometimes of insomnia but her whole sense of control over it is different. And in another 12 months, she's going to be in an unrecognizable position of health and wellness. And it's really possible that in about 24 months of committed natural care, that's comprehensive. You got to deal with it on multiple different systems. It's got to be more than just diet. You've got to actually get other interventions in there. You really truly put two years into something. You can massively alter almost any single chronic disease. Usually 80 to 90% of symptoms can be gone in that time period. And if you actually look, that's not that crazy. When you do back surgery, they all tell you it's going to take you two years to heal. And how many people do you know two years after back surgery still deal with back pain? So like if you coupled back surgery 
with chiropractic, massage, acupuncture, naturopathic care, nutritional intervention, be like a superhero in two years. Right. (laughs) It's really possible. And this is the part I want to like get out there is this isn't mysterious. This isn't like hard to find. Just Google it. Right. And there are practitioners in every single city around this country and in many other places in the world, you know, that there's sometimes even more prevalent in other places in the world than they are here, that this really is like, just like you'd go to a financial advisor and they'd be like, great, call me when you got $30,000 to invest, go do these actions. I mean, that's what I had to do. I walked in and he's like, okay, I can't really help you till you make more money. (laughs) I was like, okay. So I've been working on that and I've been like paid off the credit cards and disappeared debt. And I've got a whole new relationship with my tax accountant and I'm handling that. And now I'm taking on cleaning up things on my credit report. And then once all of that stuff is complete, I'm actually in a new position to literally go in and start investing in my future in that way. Financially, it's the identical parallel in our health. And there really are a lot of people out there that are experts in how you can build health wealth, whatever we're going to call it. (laughs) I like that. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that does seem like what this is all about, right? Is 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 investing in yourself and investing in that dream life and investing in those connections and and how that all together is you know what heal means mm-hmm. and it's possible it's possible yeah. it's possible it's possible it's possible it's possible like if I could stand on my soapbox <laughs> yeah. it's just like and there's not you don't have to choose it. I mean, I have some clients that come to me and they're like, look, really all I want is to be out of pain. And beyond that, I don't, I'm not making you any promises. Like they can't, they're like, mm, no dream life, Mm-mm. but being pain-free would be great. And we take it as far as we can go, you know, whatever their body actually needs for that. And like Molly was a great example in our first you know, inaugural episode of like, she's six years into her journey and what has changed and what hasn't changed. And what she still deals with and what she's completely free of that she never deals with anymore, you know? And like, I have similarly, like all the asthma has gone, all my internal, you know, chronic, I would not say by any means I have anything that's truly a chronic disease. I do have a couple symptoms that stick around that I am very clear. I've got a really strong mental, emotional component to them. And at this stage 16 years into my own treatment of myself with naturopathic medicine and homeopathy and biotherapeutic drainage and applied kinesiology, mostly the things that make a difference for me at this stage are more in the spiritual and emotional social realms. And I need to make sure I take care of this vessel called my body with the way that I eat and exercise and those kinds of things. But, and that's, I almost wondered if we were going to get here and maybe we make this a long episode. You can decide if we want to keep going, but there's a whole philosophy of healing that I have where there really are steps and there's the different phases and what each phase requires. And like there, the physical interventions of diet and changing your biochemistry is a phase one process. And there are people out there that are like, diets don't really make any difference for me anymore, but it's because they've actually moved on to the next level they need a different kind of therapeutic intervention at that point. And it becomes more subtle and more about energetic medicine and more about spiritual and mental emotional health, which will then impact your physical body. But in the beginning, almost all my clients, we get to just start with food, water, sleep, exercise, sex, you know, the five physical things that feed and nourish our body. And we deal with those five things for sometimes the first year or two. And then after that, the other stuff becomes more relevant as we move forward. 
Yeah, and that's interesting too. I mean, it goes back, I don't know, the theme of this episode is definitely like connectedness, I feel like. And Mm -hmm. it it goes back to like, that makes sense too, because in the same way that, uh, you know, what you eat can affect how you feel, how you feel can affect how you sleep or vice versa or whatever. It makes sense too, that if you're investing in your emotional health through spiritual practice or mindfulness or, you know, whatever it is that feeds yourself emotionally, that is your self-care, that's obviously going to affect how your body feels. And if your body feels shitty, it's going to make it harder to do those things. You know, yeah. you, you'll lose the motivation for that. And, and I, and I do think that makes sense. And just that awareness of that connectedness alone will inspire people to have that thought change and that, and that life change that can follow that. I feel like, and I think it's a really beautiful picture to paint of, um, you know, no, no shame, no shame invoking, but the positive of like, where could your life be better? Isn't that exciting that it could be better? Yeah. You know, not like, cause you're not doing enough, but like, no, but man, your dream life is, is possible for you. And, and what does it take to get there? And what ways can we do that? And, and like, let's get excited about that. And let's mm-hmm. get excited about how great, how, how great your marriage could be, or your single life could be, or, and, or how great your job could be. And whether that's, you get really excited about business and you get a new job or your like frame of perspective around your current job improves. And, and if you're not miserable there, then you're more excited when you come home. And if, when you're more excited, when you come home, you're more likely to be like in the mood to cook something awesome. And then you don't feel the need to like stay up and binge eat or drink all night because your emotions are off. And then you go to bed earlier and then you're rested. And then it's over, you know, totally. I, I just think that that's like such a good way to look at things and and to see that ripple effect and to see that ripple effects work in, in both ways. It's not just the negative way. It's like yeah. ripple effects work really well in the positive way too. And I think that that's, that's, you know, the good news here, right. Is, yeah. is that you can, that you can have that dream life and, and it's those small, small steps that that'll get you there. And that can, it's just that commitment to getting there, right. That, that will propel you. And I want to put in, because we've talked about some pretty big heroic ideas so far, mm-hmm. but actually something that I stepped into this year is, um, my understanding is a Japanese concept called Kaizen. And Kaizen is the art of making tiny incremental changes, like tiny, like so small, your brain is telling you there's no way that's going to make a difference. Like one of the stories in the book, I read the book Spirit of Kaizen, which we can put in the resource notes here is this guy that wanted to lose weight and he, you know, he didn't really want to, his doctor basically threatened him with his life because of his cholesterol levels and things like that. And he was a consultant and he ate out a lot and he ate a lot of rich foods at restaurants. And there was just like, no way he was going to make any major changes. So what the coach told him to do in the beginning is to just set one, take one bite of food at the very beginning and put it aside and eat everything, but that one bite of food. And that was the first action he took. And then it became set two bites of food aside. And like eventually, incrementally over time, he was only eating half of his plate and taking the other half home. And he ended up losing all this weight because he just changed his portions, you know, and he was eating the same food that whole time. And so, but he started out with just eating everything on his plate, but one bite. But by setting it aside first, there was just this, like, it was already done, right? And that's really, truly the spirit of Kaizen. The way I used to say it, I didn't know it was Kaizen is, we'd play the one degree game. So like on a sailboat, right? I've done a lot of sailing. If your 
off your course by one degree over a period of time, you end up in a completely different place. And so just one degree alteration can take you, if you stay there, can take you to a whole new place. And so you do the one degree that you can do right now. And then you do the next one degree and the next one degree. And like, I often put almost all my clients on the paleo diet to start because it's one of the most anti-inflammatory, easy access, whole food diets. There's a few alterations to that, but almost always I start people there. But many of my clients, it just is totally not what's going to support them and nourish them the most to dive all the way from where they are into eating only meat and vegetables and nuts and seeds, right? So we start with the one degree and I ask them what that would be, you know, and a lot of people is changing breakfast so they can eat anything they want for lunch, dinner, snacks, everything. All we're going to do is alter what they eat for breakfast. Then we're going to pick the next one that would be the easiest for them to change. For many people, it's actually dinner because lunches are the ones when they're out and they're at work and whatever. So we just like pick and choose. And the other thing I'll do is I'll have them eat six ounces of protein three times a day and six cups of vegetables a day and drink a gallon of water. I don't tell them to take anything out of their diet. I just want them to eat all that protein, eat all those vegetables and drink all that water. Guess what happens? Have you ever tried to do that? There's not much room left. <laughs> and yeah, all you've done is eat meat, vegetables and you're completely hydrated, right? So it kind of like naturally pushes it out. And those are some of the, the mechanisms I think where we can be compassionate and gentle with ourselves and still end up in the long run making a really big difference. Cause I don't, you know, I want to leave people with like, Another way that it's possible is like the one degree game, you know, add 20 steps to your daily step intake every single day for the rest of the year. Just do 20 more steps today than you did yesterday. And at the end yeah. of the year, that's miles and miles and miles, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's huge. That feels like a good place to to wrap things up. It's been such a good season. And, I know. And we have so much more good stuff coming in season two and- and what a, what a beautiful journey. And I'm just grateful to have gotten to embark on it with you and hear all of these episodes and get to, you know, I never I sat in on your interviews. I'm, you know, just doing the editing, but in a way I feel like I met all those people and it's, it's been this really beautiful, beautiful journey. And I, and I hope it has been for our listeners too. I, I mean, from what we've heard, it's impacted a lot of people in a really wonderful way. And, and I look forward to getting to do that again in season two here. Awesome. Me too. We've already recorded some of the episodes and they're awesome. So I can't wait to launch that one. Yeah, it'll be great. Well, thanks, Sarah. I yeah, guess this is, a, this is a wrap on season one, huh? Awesome. Yeah, let's close it and cut. Thank you to Kendra Vicken for coming out in front of the microphone and being with us to interview me for our recap of season one. You can learn more about finding your own healing journey by going to sarahmarshallnd.com or following me on Instagram at sarahmarshallnd. Special thanks to our music composer, Roddy Nickpour, and our interviewer and editor, Kendra Vicken. Thank you for being here. Until next time. In season two, things are getting real. Our healing journey begins now. It begins with stepping on our own paths we're not okay. And making that okay is the first step. And they said, um, yep, there's, there's absolutely no heartbeat. And this baby stopped growing at 12 weeks. I was actually having my period out of my freaking belly button. We're taking on healing at a whole new level. There's a part of me that's 
getting to this place where I'm starting to realize like she chose this body. What if we don't need to heal because we're perfect the way we are? Those parts of us that we've suppressed is where suffering is yeah. breeding in people's lives. This season, we're going to be vulnerable. I think it's important that we bring every bit of ourselves to the table. I realized no one was gonna solve this for me. I was gonna solve this for myself. Sorts of details that are awful to like talk about, but, but they're real. We're talking about healing at its root. It, it all boils down to healthy cells. And if yeah. your cells aren't healthy, you're gonna have issues. Our goal and, and our intentions is that she be seizure-free and medication-free. We're too focused on the brokenness of our healing process. Why? Because... Now is our time. If just a few of us can uh, align, it's game over. This is season two of Heal, and I'm Dr. Sarah Marshall.